Hello, everyone, and welcome to this inaugural episode of Cargo Facts Connect, our new monthly podcast series addressing all things freighters and conversions. I'm Charles Kaufman, your host and the senior editor of Cargo Facts. I'm joined today by Bob Conby, Senior Vice President, Sales and Marketing at AEI. Today, we'll be discussing the right approach to developing and timing the launch of a new passenger to freighter conversion program. With 20 years of experience in the conversion business, Bob, it's my pleasure to welcome you to this episode. Charles, thank you very much for the invitation. Looking forward to uh, being on the very first podcast with uh, Cargofax. Likewise, let's dive into it. Uh, AEI has developed uh, P2F uh, supplemental type certificates for 10 jet models to date, with the most recent being the 737-800SF. Uh, the first two of which were redelivered to Ethiopian Airlines earlier this year. So congratulations on that. Uh, reflecting, uh, reflecting on these current and former programs, what are some of the main factors that drive program development for AEI? Well, given the time to, that is required to develop a new program, in most cases it's three to four years at best, we like to always have one either in work or in review. Um, so kind of as we get to the conclusion or a year out from finishing one program, we've got others either in work and launched or in review. So we start off by looking at our current conversion products, try to determine uh, when they will begin to phase out. Uh, in the case of the 400, it ran out of feedstock or is running out of feedstock, so that was a driver for us to start looking at the 800. We knew that end was coming. Uh, we then look at our capacity to develop a new program, that is to say our engineering bandwidth production capacity, conversion center, slot availability, all the critical you know, pieces of the puzzle that, when combined, uh, allow you to proceed ahead with the program. All right, and what is AEI's starting point for new program development? Well, we're at, as you know, we're a narrow body and regional conversion provider only, so we focus exclusively on these size aircraft. Um, it should be stated, uh, should be known that AEI launches programs based on internal analysis and understanding of the market and usually on, on spec, on speculation. We don't always need, in fact, in mo most cases, we don't have a firm launch customer, um, although we have some indication of what the market will do. But at the time of launch, it's usually speculation. So we do survey the markets. We have, we have an understanding of demand. We have an understanding of where the aircraft will be going. But uh, the decision is ultimately based on you know, the many years of experience our team collectively brings to the table, really on a gut feel. Some of the factors that go into our analysis is fleet size. Um, we like to see at least 1,000-plus aircraft uh, within the population of the aircraft we're looking at converting. Age of that fleet, production build rate, off-lease analysis, global distribution, and countries where the aircraft is registered and operating all play key factors in whether we'll launch a uh, conversion for that aircraft type or not. All right, so it is something that you have uh, plenty of insight into uh, years prior to launching a, a program. Uh, looking beyond AEI, what kinds of lessons do past conversion programs offer when it comes to predicting the success and, and launch timing of a new conversion program? That's kind of an interesting question. You know, when I started in the conversion business 20-plus years ago, the standard answer to this question would have been a conversion program would only be considered after the production has ended. Airlines are starting to move out of that fleet type into the next-generation aircraft, and the value of the oldest aircraft in that fleet is equal to, say, a part-out or scrap value. 
basically, if there's no value left in the passenger world, what do we do with it? Rather than part it out, we convert it. That was that was kind of the way they used to do things. Um, and this makes sense, given that freight operators are always looking for the lowest on-ramp cost. Now, fast forward 20 years, and we're now launching programs, all of us in the industry, for in-production aircraft that are still in demand, and where the oldest aircraft are being sold for prices nowhere near part out or scrap, um, which doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at how we did it years ago. Uh, examples are the 737-700, the 800, A320, A321. All those programs were launched um, while the production was still ongoing. Um, so when we talk about learning lessons of the past conversion programs, I would respond by saying we're in a whole new playing field, and very few lessons of the past conversion programs uh, can be compared to what we're seeing today. Uh, aircraft have gone from being an inexpensive freighter parked in the back of an airport somewhere to a serious financial vehicle that is treated in an entirely different way. They're now valuable assets that are traded by leasing companies and investors, and not so much just an old freighter parked at the corner of an airport. So times have definitely changed, and once again, very few comparisons, I think, can be made to the 707 DC-8 727 days. Right, no, it is a uh, completely different paradigm, it sounds like. Uh some of these new programs are, are, when it comes to competing for feedstock, it's it's no longer a matter of uh, scrap or, uh, or 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 not scrap. Um, so, returning to your conversion programs, AEI formally launched its its newest program, uh, the uh, 737-800SF, in spring 2014. At a time when uh, conversions for the 737-400s uh, were were still um, taking off and, and doing quite well. How would you characterize the conversion market in the years leading up to the launch of, uh, of your 737-800 program? In two words, on fire. Um, as you stated, the 734 market was in its prime at the time AI made the decision to launch 737-800-SF. AI was converting 20-plus 400s a year during this period. We did that for almost five years in addition to MD-80s and 737-300s that were being converted, um, not only by us, but we, you also had other people converting 400s and 300s at that same time. But it was clear that the 737-400 was the preferred freighter uh, to replace the aging 300 fleet, and that's exactly what we saw. We saw large numbers, probably 150 to date, um, being converted and replacing the older 300s, which are now moved downstream to uh, smaller airlines in third-world countries. All right, so AEI determined that this was uh, the, the, the obvious replacement choice um, for, the, for the 737 Classics. Uh, but why did, why did AEI's management determine it was necessary to launch a new narrow-body conversion program in, in 2014? And what was the process that led to the selection of the 800 over, over um, other subtypes of the 737 uh, NG, such as the, the 700? Okay. Uh, I think we were well ahead of our competitors in terms of publicly committing to the 800 launch. So we we saw the writing on the wall early. We knew we were going to get into the 800, and the decision was made earlier rather than later, uh, as we had space available within our engineering uh, and production uh, departments to go ahead and, and commit to such a program. So stars aligned, if you will, and we had the time. But this was in part due to the confidence um, in our market sector based on the success of our 400 program at the time. We were leading the market. Uh, we still lead the market in terms of number of 400s converted. 
Um, but it was also driven by the knowledge that the 737-400 fleet was being consumed at an alarming rate. And we estimated that by 2019, this year, feedstock levels would be all but gone, and we were pretty much right on the money. Um, they're not gone 100%, but they're, uh, they're really, really hard to find today. So the decision to launch the 800SF was as much about survival as it was continuing the production line. Um, and you know, it's also about bringing a new, new product to market for us, something that will carry us into the future. So in terms of why we selected the 800, um, to us it was obvious from the beginning this would be the dominant narrowbody freighter for the next 40-plus years. Uh, reasons behind that, 5,000-plus uh, built. Uh, and at the time we launched, they were still in production. Industry acceptance of the airframe in terms of uh, most operators being familiar with Boeing narrowbody products. Um, the 11 uh, ULDs on the main deck offer greater capacity than our 400 by, by one position. Um, when we looked at the options that were out there, the 700, and we studied and were, were asked a bit on it for Alaska. Uh, but for us, it carried too little freight to support the 7B engines that were on the left and right wings. Um, the number of aircraft that would be converted, that would be converted, we estimate it would be well below 30 over the life of the program which is just, for us, it's too little of a number in our estimate to, to launch a program and spend the, the money to develop it. Uh, we also had the issue on the 700 that we couldn't do a 700 and an 800 at the same time, and the Alaska opportunity approached us just as we were uh, launching the 800, and we knew we couldn't do both. So uh, having to choose one, we had to choose the 800 and let the 700 go, uh, which was ultimately awarded to, to IAI. But as we see now, their their backlog is pretty much gone, and uh, acceptance of the airplane now that the 800 is a little more available seems to be dwindling. Uh, it should also be noted that the 700 is the same size as the 300, um, eight positions on the main deck, a uh, little bit more of a cramped door uh, positioning ahead of that number one engine. So to us, uh, it just never made sense. The 320, uh, same main deck payload as the 737-400SF, 10 positions, uh, one less than the 800. And in our opinion, it was something that our 400 operators would not want. It was a little too sparky, as they said, a little too electronic for them. And then the 321, uh, I think it's going to be a good airplane, but it's more of a competitor to the 757, which is a little bit bigger than uh, the size air aircraft that AEI plays in. So... That, that was our general analysis over the four airplanes, and when we looked at them, the 800 just stood out as, well, those are the only four airplanes going forward, and the 800 just stood out as the right airplane to uh, to launch with. All right, well, that, that reasoning is certainly sound for uh, for moving forward with the 800, but it seems like uh, a number of other companies have uh, have reached similar similar conclusions and that the uh, narrow-body passenger-to-freighter conversion space is getting a bit crowded these days. Uh, including AEI, there are at least four firms developing STCs for the 737, um, for 737-NG uh, programs, and likely just as many or perhaps even more for A320 family conversion programs. Uh, of course, many announced programs never get anywhere, uh, and some programs that do end up receiving STCs uh, don't end up being commercially successful. Uh, what, in your opinion, separates successful programs from failed ones? Well, this is a bit of a loaded question, but I'll do my best to be honest. Um, uh, under the assumption that only uh, two of the three Boeing converters will survive, uh, with one being the dominant player, 
and only two of the three or four, depending on how you look at it, Airbus narrowbody uh, converters surviving. Uh, there'll be one dominant player there as well. But um, look at the 800 uh, program and assume, for comparison's sake, that all the products uh, that three of us right now are building are, for the most part, equal. That is to say, the doors are all on the left-hand side. They all open outward. The floors are all Ankara. Uh, they all hold 11 full-size ULDs, even Stephen. You know, same across the board. What's left to compare in that uh, in, is, is price, turn time, flexibility. Uh, that's kind of what you get down to once the once the hardware is the same. So on price, AI is certainly going to be at the lower end. II typically ends up in the middle, and Boeing, as you would expect, would be to the higher side. Turn times, Boeing has got us beat by a little bit, so they're at the low end of the turn times. II and AEI are about equal. And flexibility in terms of contracts, uh, changes in delivery or t- timing or options, lead time, um, you know, acknowledgement of uh, how much time is needed for a contract signing before you can induct. Um, AI is by far the easiest to do business with. I would say II and Boeing, both large companies, they're not very flexible, uh, could be difficult to deal with, depending on your perspective. Um, and it just doesn't really fit, in my opinion, with the narrowbody operator or even the, the narrowbody lessor model. If I had to make a prediction uh, with the 800, I'd say that AI will be the leader over the length of the program. Um, Boeing will have a good run, as, as we're seeing now. Boeing certainly has a jump on it. Uh, did get out ahead of us, um, but it's continued escalation um, and pricing and rigid contract requirements, long lead times, uh, will eventually bring their program to an end. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I truly believe they're not making a lot of money on it. So you've got to look at kind of reasons why they're doing it. II's NG programs will, like their classic programs, I believe, be phased out over the next three to four years as their attention is focused more on the 767 program, which is having great success, and the 777 program, which they're talking about launching, and I do believe they're getting close to launching. These two programs are probably sized better for II um, than than the NGs are, just because there's more dollars to play with in it for a large company. So in short, uh, narrowbody operator and lessors are always looking for the lowest cost solution and the ones that offer the most flexibility. Kind of a a funny little story is occasionally, not not all the time, but occasionally over the past 10 years I've been at AEI, we have usually existing customers bring aircraft on the ramp. Once they arrive at our conversion facility, I get a call asking when the next slot is and can, can I send the contract over. That gives you kind of a mindset of, of what these guys are thinking. They buy an aircraft. They want to put it into conversion as fast as, as, as possible, get it out as fast as possible, and put it into revenue service, even to the point to where you know they'll, they'll, they'll bring it to a facility uh, unannounced. So that's easy for us to deal with. We've been doing that for you know, the life of AI. But for someone like a Boeing or an IAI, I would imagine that probably wouldn't work well within their network. Right. It seems like uh, flexibility uh, when it comes to to um, slot availability is is definitely an important factor for for many um, carriers looking to to rapidly add freighters. Uh, and looking back at the develop the development of the seven three seven eight hundred SF program, where do you see some of the largest gaps uh, between? AEI's original assumptions and expectations at the onset of the program uh, versus the reality we see in today's market? Um, I would say the number one miss 
that, that we had, that I had, uh, was greatly underestimating feedstock price and availability of the 800. We just we missed it. We thought it would continue downward. In fact, our our initial estimates were the ideal pricing for a, a midlife 800, meaning three or four thousand cycles on the engine. Um, 2002 year build on average would be nine to ten million. Um, it never really got below probably 13 or 14 million. That was a few years back, and now it's been escalating north of 16, 17 million, given the constraints on um, available aircraft for passenger operations. So um, we assumed that the 800 would follow the pricing curve of the 400, and that was completely wrong. It did, didn't do that. Uh, the 7B engines are, in my opinion, at the heart of the problem. Don't get me wrong, great engine, great on-wing performance, but when it comes off wing, there's no meat left on the bone. It runs till everything's uh, timed out or cycled out. So the engine then has to go through a complete overhaul, which you know, we see estimates between five and six and a half million, depending on uh, what has to be replaced, uh, and that's per engine. So you start adding in, call it six million, you're at 12 million for the engines. Airframes are on four million, you're at an easy 16 million. And that's something you've got to put a lot of money into. So something that's more turnkey, that has time on the engines, time on the airframe, is going to be 16, 17, 18 million or more. Uh, and these aren't young airplanes. Uh, 1999, 2000 vintage, we're seeing those kind of numbers. Um, keep in mind that freight operators are typically looking for three to 5,000 cycles remaining on their engines. Uh, due to the low utilization, they don't want or need um, uh, full life or full cycle count on the engines, and they're not willing to tie up the capital for 15 plus years in a full overhaul. They just they don't want to spend their money there because they don't use it. So I'm predicting uh, now that this engine will, for many years to come, limit the number of conversions performed annually just based on availability of green time engines, three, four, five thousand cycle engines, uh, and 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 its high cost. So uh, when we're dealing uh, uh, excuse me a second. So this is what we were dealing with right after the launch of the 8142014. Uh, these were the conditions back then. But today, you know, we've got new constraints that have, that have come in. The MAX-8 has caused um, tremendous turmoil within the industry, not only for Airbus products, for, for Boeing products, for, for everybody. Uh, feedstock is nowhere to be found. Prices continue uh, to go up. Leases are being extended, not just six months or 12 months, but three to five years being extended out. Uh, and the effects are being felt uh, by all programs, uh, once again, both Airbus and Boeing. So given um, the problems Boeing has had getting the aircraft recertified or back in the air, I'm guessing we're going to have uh, this situation around us for the next uh, probably year and a half, two years, you know, at least through the end of 2020, we'll be fighting for feedstock. So it looks like uh, the, the program is going to be a bit slower to, to take off than, than originally expected, and, and that many of these factors are, are outside of um, anybody's control, really. Uh, regarding these program delays, I mean, is there a way to, to mitigate external factors that cause delays? Um, or, I mean, ultimately, are, are these programs uh, at the mercy of the industry environment? Well, I mean, when we're talking about developing a program and going through that development phase, we'll leave kind of the aftermath uh, to, to another, uh, another question. But let me start by comparing the development of any conversion program uh, by any provider to remodeling your kitchen or bathroom. 
Um, the golden rule in remodeling is that no matter what the contractor tells you, double is price, double is, is estimated time, and you'll be pretty close to where that project will come out. And the same holds true for the development of a conversion program by either the OEM or the non-OEM. There's so many unknown variables as you're going through these aircraft, from line number changes uh, to structure differences to wiring differences. And even the OEMs have a hard time getting their hands around all the different variations. So when you're talking about is there a way to mitigate the external factors, and to me that's, that's what that means. It means the things that pop up during conversion um, highly unlikely. And most programs have optimistic uh, completion times. We usually set about a three-year uh, timing for our program, and it usually comes out between three and four years. Um, it's just, you know, you try, you, you try to be hopeful up front, but the reality sets in as the program continues through and just kind of where they end up. And this is, I think this is the fifth program I've been through in my career, and they've all had similar results. And looking ahead to, to potential future programs, is there anything that AEI might do differently um, in its approach to, to future program development? I'd like to tell you that we have it all figured out, but the next program will eventually come and it will hold those secrets and surprises that, that will bite us a little bit. So I, I don't think it'll change much in the future. In fact, I would probably say it'd be the opposite, given the complexity of aircraft that we'll be looking at, candidate conversion aircraft. I'd say the complexity is only getting, uh, getting greater and therefore the surprises and the unknowns are going to get greater and, and that's going to put pressure on timing for the program for sure. Great, Bob. And that's about all the time we have for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.